welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. All right, I'm going to play a little game with you today. Um, I'm going to say a phrase, a common phrase, and you have to fill in the blank, okay? Money doesn't blank on blank. Money doesn't grow on trees. My generation, our parents said that to us all the time. And now you're going to see there's a theme here if you were paying attention to the pre-service ad reel or you were here last week on what these blanks are all about. Okay, ready? Blank is money. Time, right? Time is money. Okay, you got to blank money to blank money. This is business, but you got to spend money to make money. Okay. This one's one of my personal favorite. Mo blank, mo blank. <laughs> Thank you, Mason P. Diddy. Mo money, mo problems. And then this one money talks. Yes, that is the series that we are in right now. Money talks, conversations with Jesus that could change your bottom line. Now, I know. This is complicated and uh, talking about money here in church for a number of reasons. One is the fact that like a lot of us could look at history or our own personal experience and going religion and money is a bad, bad combination, right? Things always go south or sideways when faith and money get mixed together. And perhaps like you had a really bad experience with that growing up, or that's perhaps why you stayed away from church and, and all that. So I get it. It is complicated. Uh, also, many of us like grew up just kind of in our in our Canadian culture, but maybe your ethnic culture, and e- even more so, you never talked about money in public. Don't, don't let people know how much money you have. I mean, you can talk about it in generalities, but no specifics. <laughs> and so there's a lot of kind of shame around that. And people don't talk about it. And it's just kind of a complicated issue. <laughs> but the reason we have to talk about it is it is a big deal. Money is a big deal. Money is one of the main reasons why couples fight and sometimes even split. It's sometimes the reason families, extended families, hold grudges for decades. Money can sometimes split apart companies, cause bankruptcies, split countries. Um, Many of you know that uh, our church is involved in the fight against human trafficking. And I'll never forget one of the, as we were getting involved in this issue, I I saw an interview with a pimp and he said this, you know it's wrong, in other words, what they were doing to these women, but the money's too good. Man, money is a powerful thing. Not to mention the fact that like, as we said last week, there are thousands of people talking to you about your money every day, right? They said there was somewhere we're exposed to somewhere between 4,000 and 10,000 advertisements a day. And every single, so people are talking to your money, all about your money all the time, and they are trying to get it from you. And so the reason we can trust Jesus to talk to us about our money and the reason we need him to talk to about this is not just because it's a big deal, but he doesn't need it from you. (laughs) Jesus is the one person who wants to talk to you about your money, but isn't trying to get any of it from you. He had many conversations in the four biographies we have recorded of him in the Gospels, uh, many conversations with people about money, and never once did he say, give it (laughs) to me. And so we need to actually have conversations with him. And my hope and prayer, my, and this is just my personal experience, 
If you let Jesus talk about your money, it can change the way you think and bring an incredible amount. And this may not happen for you, but I know it's happened for me and I know it's happened for many others. And so that's why we're doing this series. Conversations with Jesus can change the way you think about your money to bring more peace, more freedom, and more joy into your life. And so that's what we're doing over these few weeks. Last week, we started with the fact that money actually means different things to different people. We did a little survey of like, what does money mean to you? And hopefully that was insightful for you if you took it. If you hadn't, haven't, go back on the podcast or you can watch on YouTube on our channel and just do the survey. Even if you just watch the first 10 minutes of the message, it'll be helpful for you to know kind of what does it mean to me? And then we let Jesus point out to us, really the starting point of this conversation is money is no ordinary thing. Jesus says it can have God-like influence in our lives if we let it. That in a sense, it, it, we can look to it for the things that only God can provide. Identity, security, joy, control. Um, that we can um, serve it like God invites us to serve him. And so it's, it can actually be a rival God in our lives. And that's where we started. But today... I want to talk about another common phrase that we say when it comes to money. Ready? You can fill in the blank. I have enough. <laughs> Said no one ever, right? You didn't know what that blank was because nobody says, no one says, I have enough, right? Uh, certainly the thousands of ads that you're exposed to every day are not trying to tell you, hey, don't worry, you have enough. Right? Nobody turns down a promotion or a job or a salary or a wage increase saying, you know what, boss man, I'm good. I have enough. When the family's sitting around reading grandpa's will, no one says, you know what, family, you guys take it all. I have enough. Right? You didn't go to your bank last week and say, hey, you know what, just pump the brakes on my investments, man. Like, I made enough. You don't need to get more returns. Right? We don't say, I have enough. We don't think or feel it usually very often. What we say or think or feel more often is this. All I need is a bit more. God, I don't need to win the lottery. I mean, it'd be nice. I don't need millions. I just need a bit more. If we had a bit more, we could finally pay off this. If we have a bit, a bit more, we could finally afford to go to here. If we had a bit more, we could renovate this or upgrade this. If I had a bit more, I'd just feel like I had a little more breathing room. If all I need is a little bit more and I'd be good. You know, because I don't quite have enough. All I need is a bit more. Now, listen, I understand that some of you, maybe in a season of your life, or perhaps even right now, you're like, no, legitimately, all I need is a bit more. Like, it, you're finding it hard to put food on the table, hard to have a legitimate, affordable shelter, um, clothing, like the basic needs. And so I recognize that, that. And just so you know, we have a compassion fund in our church for anyone who suddenly finds themselves in that place where you need help um, with some of the basic needs of food and shelter and clothing, healthcare, whatever. And so I recognize there are some of us who have been or are in that place where it's like, no, legitimately, all I need is a bit more. But here's the tricky thing about saying that, at least in my experience. It's hard to stop saying it. We all always think all I need is a bit more. And here's what I mean. Think about this. This is so obvious, but I think it's actually profound. There are people who have everything that you think you need. They have the salary that you say, if I got that, I would be good. And yet, you know what? They're saying the same thing you are. All I need is a bit more. Think about that. 
There are people who have the bit more that you think you need, and they're still saying, yeah, but all I need is a bit more. <laughs> so we need to check ourselves a little bit and say, maybe all I need is a bit more is an illusion. But it's keeping me from being able to say, I have enough. In a conversation that Jesus had with his friends about 2,000 years ago, his um, apprentices, his disciples, he actually put his finger on the two things that make it very hard for them and for us to be able to say, I have enough. The two things that constantly cause us to feel and think and perhaps say, all I need is a bit more. He puts his finger on those two things. He actually identifies why we feel those things, why those things are so easy for us, um, why, why it's so easy for us to say, all I need is a bit more, why it's hard for us to say, I have enough, and what the cure is or a better way forward for us as we think about our money. And so I want you to listen in on this conversation and we're gonna unpack those two things together. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. In this conversation that Jesus had with people who lived in an economy and a life situation very different than ours, <laughs> he puts his finger on two things that 2,000 years later are still the main reasons why we have a hard time saying, I have enough, why it's so easy to say, all I need is a bit more. The first one is a word he used multiple times during this passage, worry. Worry, which in the context of, of the conversation of finances, I want to just define as the fear of not having enough. Worry, the fear of not having enough. Like, what about this? And what about that? And what about tomorrow? Worry is the first thing that he identifies as, and if we are fearful about tomorrow, about not having enough, right? We're, we're going to always say, all I need is a little bit more. That's the one thing. The other thing he puts his finger on is, is a word that I, I'm going to use that doesn't actually appear in the passage, but is strongly implied um, in verse 32 when he says there are people who run after all these things, the stuff of life, people who run after. And that phrase that's translated for us, run after, the Greek word is epizeteo. 
and it's it implies desire, like grasping or or uh, wanting more, which I would use this word, not worry, but greed. Greed is the desire for more. Worry, a fear of the future, and greed, a desire for more, are the two things that um, fuel the thought, the speech, and the attitude that all I need is a bit more. Now, I know it might be, it, we kind of think it's easy to see worry or greed in other people's lives. <laughs> maybe it is, maybe it isn't. It's definitely not able, uh, um, easy to see or to admit that worry or greed might be operating in our own lives. So <laughs> before we go on with this, and unpack a little bit of this and try to understand these words and these ideas a little better. Can, can I just have us say something together that I kind of think we all need to say? Um, in, a, in a moment, I'm going to ask you on the count of three to say, worry or greed might be a problem for me. It rhymes, too. <laughs> uh, it, I'm not saying it is. It just might be. And what that's going to do when we say it, because all of us can say it, and so we're all going to say it together, so there's no judgment. It's not like, oh, he said it. She said, oh, I knew it was a problem for them. No, no, this is about all of us realizing, okay, I'm just going to be open to this conversation because worry or greed might be a problem for me. Ready? The count of three. One, two, three. Worry or greed might be a problem for me. Ah, there you said it. Okay. Now we're all in the same boat. Let's talk about worry for a second. We think that it is easy to see what worry looks like, like that it's the wringing of your hands and saying, oh no, and uh, what if, and what about, and, and anxiety and stress about finances. And for sure, that's possible to have that kind of approach and response. And maybe you can see that in your lives. You really see that with your spouse or your husband or your wife, or your mom or your dad or your friend, right? They're always worried about money. I think worry can look like that. And if it does, it seems easy to spot. But worry can also be a focused and continual thinking about the future. Worry can be uh, like planning and anticipating for a rainy day. Look, there's nothing wrong with planning for the future. That's financially wise. That's financially responsible. But a constant thinking, a constant planning, uh, the need to have every I dotted and T crossed and all of the numbers and make sure the retirement curve, you know, crests at the right time and make sure I have everything I need for tomorrow and the next day and the next day and 30 years from now. Worry can also look like that, an obsession or a fixed planning or constant thinking about the future, about financially about the future. It can also look like constantly looking for a better paying job or perhaps not even considering certain career paths or certain jobs because of the pay, because we're worried about not having enough. It can look like fighting with our spouse constantly or arguments in our family or extended family about spending habits and about finances for the future. Those are the harder things to see, but they can also be driven by a fear of not having enough tomorrow, the next week, the next day, and when we retire. Worry can look very visible, anxious, stress, <laughs> you know, what if, what about this, we can't afford that. It can also look like a very disciplined approach to the future and a constant thinking and planning about the someday, one day. That's worry. Greed is much harder to spot. We think greed looks like the Wall Street investment banker sitting around at his desk with piles of cash saying to his team, more, 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 I want more. And you go, oh, I'm not like that. <laughs> or I'm an investment banker, but I don't act like that. 
But greed follows the unquestioned idea that more is better. Right? Greed wants more. It follows the unquestioned idea that more is better. And greed can come from a number of places. We don't even notice it, but greed can come from who we benchmark our life or our spending habits or our salaries off of, right? Some of us, we, we don't think we grew up in a family that was greedy, but we just think, hey, well, you know, we, we were able to afford this. We were able to go here. We were able to buy this. We were able to have this. We were able to uh, keep this kind of lifestyle. And so now when I have a family or when I get married or when I have kids or now that I am married and I have kids, that's just normal because that's just what I knew. And it wasn't what you needed. It was more. You had more than enough. But for you, it doesn't look like greed. That's just the family I grew up in. That's my benchmark. It's my unconscious idea of what normal looks like. Or perhaps we benchmark off the people we work with. Well, they just got back from Turks and Caicos, or they have that kind of car. She wears these kind of clothes, or um, she seems to have these kind of opportunities or has extra to pursue this or that. We can just benchmark our lives on what is normal by, oh, well, I work in the same job or I'm in the same industry. I should be able to have that. I should be able to afford that. I should be able to take opportunities for that. Our benchmarks can be, or just our friends or the people we live next to or whatever. And we're not thinking it's greed, but all we're thinking is, I just need a little bit more so I can be able to afford this or that, or that's just what it means to live here. Or that's just what it means to have this title, or that's just what it means to be a husband or a wife or to have a good family life. Greed can actually sometimes come from what we didn't have. I remember listening to an interview with a, uh, a man in his late 60s, uh, a, a top executive in a multinational um, firm who had made tons of money. And the interviewer is asking him, saying, hey, you're past 65. You don't need to be in this role anymore. You don't, and he's still working like crazy. You don't need to hustle anymore. You don't need to work so hard. Why are you doing it? And you know what he said? He said, I grew up in a small trailer with me and my brother and my mom, who's a single mom, and we barely had food on the table. Life was so hard. And he said, when I slammed the door on that trailer at the age of 17, I determined to run as far away from that place as I could get. And then he said this, I guess I'm still running. <laughs> right? What is fueling us might be the benchmarks that we, of what we had or what we didn't have. And we don't think it's greed, but we just think, hey, all I need is a bit more. And friends, think about this, okay? Whether it's the fear of not having enough or the desire for more, these are the two motivators that, he, that the ad industry is built on. Fear of not having enough. Oh, you've just had a child. Well, would you have enough for a, a bigger van? Or do you have enough for a house? Or what about their future education? Or hey, have you planned properly for retirement? Or what if this happens? Or an unexpected illness and critical illness insurance? And what if you're, you know, the power in your home goes out and you need a generator? Like fear is a regular motivator in the ad industry. And so is desire. Well, look, you can have this or you can afford this or it's about time or, you know, you treat yourself or hasn't it been stressful? And this is what you could have. Fear and desire are the constant motivators that are being invited and like shown us in order to spend our money. And Jesus in this passage actually puts his finger on the downside of greed and worry in verse 32. He, look what he says. He says, he says, don't worry and don't chase after, don't desire all this stuff. Why? <laughs> look, it's such a simple um, observation by Jesus, but so profound. He says, each day has enough trouble for its own. In other words, life is already hard. 
Life is difficult, right? You have trouble. Life is not easy. <laughs> Worry and greed will add trouble to your life, right? He says, I know you think all you need is a bit more, but when you're pursuing a bit more, the more that you get is usually trouble. In other words, it's harder. The more you live with worry in your life, the more fear you have about the future, the more worry, uh, trouble you get in your life, right? It, worry causes trouble, stress, anxiety. It makes everything harder. It, may, it causes fights. It causes anxiety, sleepless nights. He says, life is already hard. Worry adds trouble to an already challenging existence. And so does greed, the relentless pursuit of more or saying no to things you should say yes to because you, you, it doesn't give you more, or trying to compete with the people, or comparing yourselves to those who have more, or fighting with siblings in order to get more, inheritance, or whatever it is. He said that just adds trouble to life, which is already difficult. Worry and greed will add trouble to your life. And so what is the antidote, right? He says, don't worry. Don't run after and desire these things. Well, he says it right in this passage. <laughs> The antidote is in verse 32 and 33. You have a father and he is a kingdom. <laughs> what do I mean by that? What does Jesus mean by that? Let's just tunnel down on this. Jesus' antidote for worry is you have a father in heaven. A heavenly father, a good father. In other words, you're not an orphan. You're not left to yourself to try to find your own way out in this cold, brutal world. You're not by yourself. You don't live for yourself. It's not up to you to figure it all out. Don't live as an orphan when you have a father in heaven, a good father, a heavenly father who knows your needs and is able to provide for them. Right? Jesus is the antidote to worry, fear about the future, is to remember that you have a good heavenly father who knows your needs and is able to provide for you. And, you know, they're probably having this conversation outside, which is Jesus kind of gestures to the world around them. And he says, look, look at the birds, verse 26. He's like, they don't, they don't uh, lay, uh, store up, they don't have barns where they store seed, right? Like it's obvious, right? They don't have grain factories but they get fed every day. Every day they get food from their heavenly father. And he says, aren't you way more important to God than birds? Like birds are part of his creation. You are his children. <laughs> How much more would he value you? So look at the birds. They don't need to store up. They don't worry about the future because God looks after them. How much more will he look after you? <laughs> but even better, God is not a minimalist. Here, have some seed. You'll be good for the day. You know, get through <laughs> He also loves beauty. Jesus says in verse 28, look at the flowers. He says, aren't they more beautiful than the nicest clothes? And he says, even Solomon, who was, you know, known in that Israel's king, the richest man who ever lived, and he sort of typified um, wealth. <laughs> and he said, nobody can, the fashion industry can't come close to how beautiful creation is, right? Like people don't have like huge pictures on their wall and take photos and travel to take pictures of clothes. What do they have pictures of? Creation. How beautiful it is. And Jesus says, look, God is not a minimalist. He's not like, here, I'll give you barely what you need. God cares about like delighting us. It's beautiful, the work of God in our lives, not just sustainable. God is the perfect interior designer, right? Functional, beautiful. And he says, that is who your heavenly father is. When you are afraid of the future, when you worry, you have forgotten who your heavenly father is. This is the antidote for worry is to remember who our good heavenly father is. 
<laughs> and the antidote for greed, this one's a little more complex, but so important, is that your father in heaven has a kingdom. And what does this mean, kingdom? You know, we've talked about this recently when we looked at the Lord's Prayer. Like, it's not a, a building or a palace. It's not an empire. It's not a political party. The kingdom of God was not something of this world. It didn't look like military, empire, politics, government. The kingdom of God, and, when, and Jesus talks about it a lot, especially in, in this gospel, Matthew's gospel, but all the way through these biographies. Whenever you hear it, think the God's ways in the world or the world according to God or God's values, the way God thinks about the world and the way God invites his children or the citizens of his kingdom to live in the world. And here's the thing. This is so important. Do not miss this. Greed, Jesus says, is the desire for more. And he says the pagans run after all these things. In other words, the pagans desperately try to seize these things. And the word pagan is not sort of a pejorative kind of insult. The word pagan, or often when you see the word wicked in the scriptures, it just refers to people who live as if there is no God, or not this God, not the Father in heaven. They live as if there's no Father in heaven or that God isn't who he says he is. And so, in other words, he says, like, they just desire more. They live the world according to them. He says, but the world according to God is different. <laughs> um, the, the desire for more is not wrong. As C.S. Lewis said, we just settle for too little right? Our desire for pleasure, our desire for more is not wrong. That desire for the, the, new, the new sweater, the, the new car smell, the new experience, the thrill of seeing something new, the thrill of the hunt and the chase of a promotion or a new sale or a new deal or whatever it is, all of that brings that thrill of new and, and, and purpose and meaning. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just that the things we look to for those, they never last. Things pill and fade and rust and become obsolete, and whatever we did last year isn't enough. We need the new thing. <laughs> he says, no, you were made, and Jesus does this little play on words. Instead of desiring, running after the things of this world, he says, seek or desire the kingdom of God. In other words, live your life according to the values of God's kingdom. Don't run after more because you're chasing a disappearing horizon. You'll always need more. Run after a life that lives according to the way God sees the world, the kingdom of God, God's values. What is the kingdom of God? What does that even mean? To live life or to run after the kingdom or to seek the kingdom or to have the kingdom in your heart, to desire the kingdom, is to find the satisfaction and joy when you stop scheming and planning on how to get more and instead start scheming and planning how to give more. The joy and satisfaction that comes into your life when you begin to give, when you focus more on giving than getting, that's when you're experiencing the kingdom. That's when true desire is fulfilled. The kingdom says that true riches, the true wealth in life is in relationships. When we start realizing that people are more important than things and we start valuing people more than things, that's when we find the true, um, uh, what, tr what is truly rich and what it means to be wealthy in life is to value people more than things, to be rich in relationships. This is the kingdom of God. And then when we realize that what we have been given is not just money, but a life to invest. We are meant to not just to invest your money to get some return, invest your life, your talents, your money, your time, your energy, your heart, your desires into 
not the stock market, but the things that God values, God's purposes, God's intention to bring healing and forgiveness and reconciliation and justice and compassion to a world that is hurting. Friends, we invest our lives. The returns we get are the things we see God doing through our lives to bring blessing and healing and hope and compassion and mercy to others. To live and desire the kingdom of God doesn't mean everybody becomes a priest or a pastor or you quit your job and become an aid worker um, in a foreign country. I mean, maybe you would. But it means you actually see your everyday life, everything you do, in light of desiring or seeking God's kingdom. <clears throat> Listen to Andy Crouch in his book, Culture, Culture Making, as he describes what pursuing the kingdom of God looks like for his wife, who is a, um, a physics professor. He says this, in her work as a professor of physics, Catherine can do much to shape the culture of her courses and her research lab. In the somewhat sterile and technological environment of a laboratory, she can play classical music to create an atmosphere of creativity and beauty. She can shape the way her students respond to exciting and disappointing results and can model both hard work and good rest rather than frantic work and fitful procrastination. By bringing her children with her to work occasionally, she can create a culture where family is not an interruption from work and where research and teaching are natural parts of a mother's life. By inviting her students into our home, she can show them that she values them as persons, not just as units of research productivity. At the small scale of her laboratory and classroom, she has real ability to reshape the world. Friends, that is what it looks like when we see our lives and our careers and whatever, not as means to get more, but to pursue the kingdom, to seek after the riches of God's kingdom and how it works itself out in our everyday life. I hope you can see from this that Jesus is not shaming us for worrying, having fear about the future, or being greedy, desiring more. Like that's, he knows that's, he's like, that's the thing that seems easy and natural and we all struggle with it. He said, you know what? That just adds trouble to your life. He's inviting us out of more trouble into a better way of living where we have peace in our hearts because we trust our heavenly father. We don't worry about tomorrow. We let him handle tomorrow and we get true fulfillment, the true desires for new and vitality and purpose and meaning by living out according to God's kingdom. So, how do we help ourselves get out of what feels like the easy thing to do, which is to worry or to be greedy? To have fear about the future or just desire more that makes it then easy to say, all I need is a bit more and much harder to say, I have enough. Here's my suggestion. We're gonna do this, we have a couple minutes to do this morning, is actually to make two lists. One list is for those of you that might be battling worry. Now, listen, I know we might battle greed and worry, like we see these things in our lives, but both in our lives, but maybe there's one of them that you're leaning towards. And so if you're kind of in that worry camp, maybe you're always like that, or maybe you're just going through a season where you have a lot of fear financially about the future. I want you to make a list of all of the ways that God has provided for you in the past or shown you his love and care, right? What are you doing? You're making a list to help yourself remember who your good heavenly father is, right? It's gratitude, but it's gratitude with a purpose. It helps you remember who God is. Because when we're worrying about the future, we've forgotten who God is. 
And so you're going to take a moment, in a moment, to make a list. So some of you need to make a list. What are all the ways that God has provided for me in the past or shown me his love and care, like that I can, I can trust him? Some of us who struggle with greed, we're going to do a different kind of list. This is a list I actually got from Arthur Brooks, who's a social scientist and a professor at Harvard, prolific author. I heard him on Sam Harris's podcast, and he's done a ton of work on happiness research. You should look him up, Arthur Brooks. And he said he started doing something to increase happiness in his life, he said, which is to make a reverse bucket list. What's that? The bucket list is all the stuff we'd like to buy, all the places we'd like to experience, the things we want to do, the stuff we want to have, the desire list. This is what I would desire, right? And he said, the problem is we think that if we got all those things, we would be happy. So now our happiness is locked up in achievement of those things off the list. And he said, what I started to do was make a reverse bucket list. In other words, he said, I, I put stuff on my bucket list and I crossed it off. He said, not because I had achieved it, not because I had purchased it, not because I got it. But he said, not because I was saying, oh, I shouldn't want that and it's bad or that'll never happen. What he was saying was, he was crossing it off saying, I don't need this to be happy. I don't need to desire. Desiring this doesn't actually bring happiness. That creates discontentment in my life. So he says, like, it's a way, he said, like, literally of just releasing it, making your body accept, I might not get that. And that's okay. The reverse bucket list. And so, um, this is so profound. I was listening to his podcast while I was running and I went through a couple of things in my mind. And the first thing I put on my reverse bucket list is, is like at the top of my list and I crossed it out. And literally like a month later, I totally feel free from that. I, I don't think about it at all anymore. I'm like, this actually works. And so some of us need to do that. So I'm going to give you um, like just three minutes to do that together, uh, do that on your own. And you can do that kind of in your mind. Uh, just close your eyes and do it when you're working just one list or the other. Or maybe like for me, like actually like visually doing it, especially the reverse one to cross it out. Just take a, a couple of minutes and do that. And, and then we're going to close it off together.
Well, if you took some time to do that, I hope that was helpful for you. And that's really the only kind of homework I have for you for this week. But maybe if I can just mention one other thing, as you've done that, as you are trying to decrease the amount of worry and greed in your life, can I ask you to pay attention over the coming weeks, really actually in the next couple of weeks in this series, um, but also just being in the life of our church for opportunities where God might be inviting you in <laughs> to what he is doing in his kingdom around you, giving you an opportunity to participate with God <laughs> in desiring or seeking or investing yourself in his kingdom. That may be through one of the many opportunities we have to serve with our youth and our kids or in our church in some way. Um, it may be just through this series as you're thinking about it a little bit more. Certainly when we get to February and we have our Live on Mission Week and we're talking about our local partners. And then we have our friend Lizette from Guinea, West Africa, who's going to be with us. There will be so many opportunities for you to hear God's invitation to invest yourself in, this, in the true riches, the true wealth, the true delight, the true desire of what he offers us in his kingdom. So be open to that. As we close, I just want you to do something. Maybe this is helpful. You don't have to do this, but it would be helpful for you. For those of us that are like, felt like we were worrying, I want you to just do this for a moment. Just kind of hold your hands like this. Maybe for those of us who feel like we're, we're more like just desiring more, you know, um, that we're more leaning in that greed camp, do this, right? I, I feel like I'm kind of doing this today, but whatever, right? Like just hold your fist like that. And, and I'm going to tell you what happens um, when we start to let um, God remind us of who he is as our good heavenly father, and he invites us into his purpose. And the count of three, I'm going to ask you to just open your hands, and I'm going to tell you what begins to come into our lives <laughs> when we're able to start saying, I have enough. Ready? One two, three. Contentment. Contentment, the deep peace on the inside, whether we have a lot or a little, whether the future seems really bright and really clear or really cloudy and not so positive. When we remember who our Heavenly Father is and when we remember that He invites us into His kingdom, which is a whole new way to live, we're able to say, I think I have enough. I have enough for today. And when we say that, contentment comes in to our life.